Nicholas Gilton. Hi, I'm Chris Salvatore. And I'm Rebecca Cochin, and you're listening to or watching. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Gamus, everyone. Welcome Hi. back. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Cochin. I'm Chris Salvatore. And I'm Daniel Skelton. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We have an incredible guest, so I don't want to dilly-dally, as uh, my husband said. Yeah. We were uh, we didn't shoot for a hot second because Daniel was bitten by a black widow spider. We welcome back. Welcome Never back. looked better. You Stop. look fantastic. I recommend it to everyone if you want a quick and easy diet fix. <laughs> Did you it lose was some scary. weight? I did. I, I've yeah. never met anyone that's actually been bitten by a black widow spider. I have never, I never imagined in a million years. I didn't even realize really we have them in LA, but I guess they're what? everywhere. Yes, yeah. they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I just didn't, I thought they weren't like the kind to just run up and bite you. So I think you're well, lucky think that it are, wasn't a brown recluse. Because I don't know the difference. They're both, what, I mean, they're both deadly. Like, are they in California too? Yes, we were saying if this were cowboy times, Dan would be dead. This I'd be dead. Like the funeral you guys, episode. I'm not, What's that game that <laughs> we all we used to play days. in <laughs> high school on in computer class or Hello, junior high? Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail. Yeah, yeah. Dysentery. Dysentery. That was like my favorite part of the day. Isn't that like when you can't? Go number two. Dysentery. No. I think when you go, that's, I think that's when you oh, go you too drink much number two. Water. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch 1883 or whatever it was? Uh, oh, no. it's really good. Can't say it. All right. Uh, never mind. I don't want to dilly dally. I don't want to dilly dally. Anyway. Dilly -dally. Yes. We have a guest that is, what a privilege we, I mean, the privilege, the privilege, the honor to have this guest here. This man is a two time Emmy winner. What? Yes, that's right. Famous has a two time Emmy winner up in this bitch, everyone. He is a well-known celebrity personality. He has written on most of our favorite TV shows of all time, and he's here for us tonight. Please give a nice gamest welcome for the one, the only, the legend, Bruce Valanche, everyone. Yes! Yes! Thank you so much. Bring that up. Thank you. Good to see you. Well, Dan, Dan, um, he's not. He, he claims he's not a ginger. I'll let you get away with it. You're an Emmy right. winner. You can do whatever okay, you want can, to I me. Say, but, <laughs> you know, anyway. You're some other color. <laughs> so am I. So yeah. You know. so I get it. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm Thank you. So happy to have Thank you here. You. Let's I have was, a gay drink. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know what's in that gay mug. Cheers. But it, what's? I, I'm drinking tequila and soda in mine. Pino, Water. Pinot Gaggio. So good. good. It, right? Delicious. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here. So, yeah. okay, your shirt says Go Ask Alice for those That's of you right. that can't see, and it's um, Alice from the Brady Bunch. It's, which is it's Alice from the Brady Bunch. Fantastic. Okay, and yeah. I overheard you and Dan talking about this. Can you please tell us what you told him about Alice from the Brady Bunch? Well, I wrote the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which is a legendary series. Legendary. We did, we did nine of them in, like, 1976. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it was the... the uh, the idea was the Bradys were a performing family, which they mm, sort of were. The Sean kids. and I, Sean and I, anybody? The kids, yeah. And, uh, and they had gotten the television show, and they were now living in a huge house in Malibu oh. that for some reason had a gigantic swimming pool next to it. The, beach, the, the ocean was not enough. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and so it was set there, and of course they brought their maid, Alice, with them. 
And so, and they, and they would do their television show every week from the pool and other locations. So she was there kind of taking care of the house. And Amby Davis, who I, of whom I was a big fan, she had had, when I was a kid, another t- a series called the Love That Bob. The Bob, Robert Cummings had a show called the, the Bob Cummings Show. Love That Bob was the other name. And she played Schultze, his assistant. She was like the man-hungry assistant. You know, he was a big celebrity photographer. So... Uh, she had a series of these things, and, and the Brady Bunch was like the last one, and people oh. forever think of her as the thing of the Brady Bunch, Alice. but she had retired. She was living in Colorado on a lesbian uh, Jesus commune. Okay, which I didn't, have you wow. ever heard of a lesbian oh, Jesus Well, of course. No, are you kidding me? Well, it's, I mean, it, you know, they're, they're Jesus people all were over they the place. Like, were they basically nuns? Mm, right, uh, uh, no, yeah. I, I, they were handmaids. <laughs> they were they oh, had little right. ha- They weren't yeah. that either. They were just, they were like... Uh, you know, born again, oh, and no. so but so. It was all women. They were all women, just and she, women on this commune. Ju- the what? Just women on this commune. Yeah, exactly right. So she she uh, they drove down in the bus from Colorado, and wow. uh, and she um, and and they were terrific. Uh, everybody they fixed everybody's car. They were great. <laughs> they were they were stereotypical lesbians. You know, now you can't even joke. You know about about dykes on bikes because people say, oh, you can't say that, but. They were like, you know, they were all kind of tough, and they knew their way around a carburetor. And uh, she was divine. She was uh, playing opposite Rip Taylor, who was a weird, strangely explosive, obviously gay uh, comic whose whole look was based on um, Frank Morgan and the Wizard of Oz. Right, and glitter. Yeah, and through confetti and through glitter. And smoke like this. And, uh, And so that was her love interest. So right oh, away, you, you can go. see there. Yes, there was right away. There was lots to write. Yeah, we had a very good time. Wait, sure. so he was Sam. He was. He was. We we didn't use Sam the okay. butcher because Sam the butcher. I don't think we uh, had the rights to him. Oh, that was from okay. the original show that the Schwartz family had had done. Oh, how Schwartz. Schwartz. Wow. And so I don't think we could use that character. But we did. Uh, we created the uh, character. He was their manager. He was in charge and, and sort of the producer of the show. Right, right. Of the right. show within a show. Wow. And uh, so... it was totally bizarre. When I do podcasts like this, people are always, uh, they grew up watching this when they were kids. Right. And, uh, and they, you know, they kind of nudge in and they say to me, but like, you were all really stoned when you did that, right? And I said, <laughs> yes, we were. Okay, well, it's yes, we, but, but, you know, I say that over and over and then I read things saying, Valanche, who admits to copious drug abuse, no. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it's embroider it a little bit, you know. Okay, but speaking okay, speaking of drug abuse, we have to talk about something that my husband just told me that you wrote, and that was the um, Star Wars special from well, 1970. Yeah, yeah. Was it 1977? That's now a commercial for drug abuse. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wow. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, which you might not, because I don't think that it's like released, right? Oh no, it's uh, George has tried to burn every copy of right, it. Right, but you can, still, you can still can still buy it. It's on, but you brother, can. It's on. Uh, it, well, it's he's given up at a certain as, point. He gave up he kind of embraced it in fact he even let lego when he had made he made his disney deal yeah he let lego do a star wars holiday special on disney plus with with uh lego characters oh my very strange uh How daisy bizarre. ridley looks just like rosie o'donnell it's just it's <laughs> Odd what Legos do to people. Huh. Well, there you go. But how did, okay, how did you come up, tell me, walk me through how you got the job for writing the Star Wars Christmas well, special. Well, I, I was writing a lot of uh, variety television. I came out here 
uh, with the Manhattan Transfer, and they had a TV series. Uh, we uh, replaced Cher for the summer, and I was also writing for Cher. Uh, no! And Sonny and Cher, and Sonny oh without God. Cher, and Sonny and Cher. Wow. We hate each other, Iconic. but we need the money. And Iconic. you know, it, uh, So I had a lot of people I was writing for, and uh, I came out here, and th- these were the days of these wacko variety specials. Remember, it was it was a three-network world. Right. There was no internet. Mm-hmm. There was no oh, you know worldwide computer net web. Um, there was no, no social media. You know, social media was uh, your number on the wall of the men's room. That was social media. So <laughs> it was it was a different time, and there were and you couldn't also you didn't see people twenty four seven. You know, there were no influencers, and I mean, there 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 was no opportunity for someone for a Kardashian to get famous because you had, you, know, you had to actually do something. Right. Sure. They didn't follow you around with a camera saying be be famous. So. Uh, there were a lot of crazy television ideas, and I did a bunch of them. You know, Wayne Newton at SeaWorld, wow. that kind of thing. You know. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I know you were nominated for the wow. Barry Manilow special. The Barry Manilow special was, yeah, that was great. But that was a real, you know, that was a real show with a real talent. Wow. That, but yeah, th- that was this, not a the idea of Star Wars, uh, George had done the uh, first one, and it was a year and a half later, and he was about to start shooting The Empire Strikes Back, and he wanted to uh, stir the pot. He wanted to make sure that the thing was still in the zeitgeist. So he had. He told me he had 10 stories and he sold, he, he was going to reserve six of them for movies he was going to make, which were the, th- the three he made initially. And then after a 30 year hiatus, he made three more. Sure. And, uh, and then he sold the other stories off. And this was the last story. And he thought it would be a, a, an ideal vehicle for a musical. And so he went to CBS and he sold it to them as a musical special. And uh, of course, they bought it because Star Wars was hot, sure, and, of and they thought, and they, they, he also got the, some of the cast to do it, and um, so we started putting it together. And, and then, of course, we we read the story, and I don't think that if he ever watched these specials, he would have sold this story. I don't think if he thought, he would have sold a special that was an original musical where the lead characters were the Wookiees. Right. Right. Oh, Oh, the Wookiees. The Wookiees. The Wookiees speak no known language. They don't like, sing, they don't dance, the they're in gigantic costumes, they can barely move. For those of you that don't know, yeah. yes, the Wookiees yeah. are the Star If you don't know the Wookiees, but Chewbacca the Wookie is everybody's okay. in, as, as starter Wookiees. I was thinking they were the little um, bear things. Ewoks? No, those are the yeah. Ewoks. Okay. Oh. And they, and they came well. in later. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were not in the first one. Uh, we I had some later. other things. We had, But mostly we had to deal with the Wookiees as the central characters. And so, so uh, how do they do their lines? They're well, like, you know, they sound like, you know, fat people having orgasms is what they sound like. Right, it's a whole, it's a Trust whole. me, I know. And that means, it's, hi, honey, I'm home. It's a, it's a lot of that, yeah. A lot of that. But so then, then we had subtitles, we, but we couldn't Bruce. have subtitles because oh, back then they said nobody will read subtitles. Oh, what? Nobody would read something. This was 1977. You know, I, I no went to Ohio State, and a guy, uh, my roommate, uh, who was from Chillicothe, Ohio, went to see a movie, and he said, they were speaking Italian, and the words were written on the bottom of the screen. And so this is what Italian. it was like. I mean, people were not used to that. Now, I, Lupita Nyong'o, who's in the most recent ones, I yes. said to her, 
she doesn't speak a word of any known language. She speaks kyak, <laughs> I think it's called. The kashik. Kashik is the language of her people. And everything is translated. Every single word she says is... But, you know, I think this began with, uh, with Star Trek because the Klingons would talk and they would use subtitles. Yeah, and they, so and people yeah. who watched the, the, the first iteration of Star Trek said, oh, well, there were subtitles there. But... Yeah, CBS would not have it. So we had to have characters who interpreted everything the Wookiees said. So we had Art Carney, who was a terrific wow. comedian actor. I mean, how cool is that? Playing an intergalactic Tupperware salesman. And he comes to uh, the Wookiee planet. That's right. That's right. He's, That's right. he's friends with uh, Chewbacca's wife, whose name is Mala. Chewbacca's married? Chewbacca's yes. married and has a little kid named uh, Itchy. And I can't find a boyfriend. Lumpy. Lumpy's the kid. And Itchy, you can't find a boyfriend. <laughs> but he's also had, the, he had, his father was living with them. I'm a silverback Wookiee who had a sex fantasies. So that we had, you know, <laughs> Wait, I, I, I had no idea there was so much backstory. There is. You, aren't you glad you opened this can of interactive so. wine? How could I not? I mean, because my, my brother Jonathan was like, uh, you've seen this, right? And I was like, no. And then so he got it and we watched it and we were like, I wow. it is, it's so, it's, How do I watch it? You can buy it. Okay, you so. can buy it, but I think you can just look at it on YouTube. You can oh just, my God, amazing. You can Google it. Okay, but see, in the middle of this Wookiee musical, B. Arthur is yes. there, and she has a solo. She has B. Arthur a solo. from the Golden Girls. Now, how did you get, how... So well, B was not yet a Golden Girl. She was Maud. Right. Uh-huh. Which was a spinoff of All in okay. the Family. And, and B was, uh, I'd known her for years. She was a Broadway actress. Yes. She was oh. in the original Mame and Love. Tony. Ma. She was the original Yenta the Matchmaker and Fiddler on the that. Roof. Yes. Wow. And so she B had she was a, big, a young woman when she did Yenta. B also introduced, uh, she was in the Three Penny Opera and introduced Pirate Jenny, which is uh, um, a big Brechtian song. And she wanted to do a big Brechtian song on the show. Uh, and uh, uh, she wanted to do, well, I'll say, we had her at, in the cantina. Right. And if you know Star Wars, you know the cantina. That, 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 uh-huh. That's where the, all the scum of the earth. There's a bar now, the Scum and Villain Bar on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, no way. Yeah, which well, is based on the cantina. <laughs> totally right. And we'll fit right uh, in. <laughs> it's, you, baby, it's fun. And blue drinks. If you like blue drinks, you'll, you'll be, which kind of look like, you know, toilet cleanser. But they taste uh-huh. great. And it turns your poop. Kind uh, of green and blue the that, next day. Yes, I can't can attest. I, although I was in a bathroom with a blue light, so yes. it's hard to tell. Mm. It turned, that turned everything blue. <laughs> so uh, we put her in the cantina as the, the woman who runs the cantina. And she breaks up the fights between the aliens. And uh, she, was a, she was kind of a plot point. Wow. But she wanted to do a number, and she wanted to do... Um, uh, the Alabama song, which, uh, oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar, which is a, a Kurt Vile, Bertolt Brecht song. She said, this is my Brecht Vile. I said, it be, it's your Vile Brecht is what it is. And she, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention did it. Uh, on an al- yeah, called the Alabama song. That, and and oh, okay. hardcore rockers or, or hardcore hippies from the 70s Absolutely know the number, and they sing it in their sleep. Um, and it's on an album. I had only mentioned this because it was the, my favorite title for an album, Weasels Ripped My Flesh. Mm, and I that. There's, uh, on the, the drawing on the cover is a guy shaving with a weasel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, we were baked most of the time yeah. when we came up with these ideas. See, I think we <laughs> need generation. Me too. I completely, completely agree. Like it was easier to feel like you could kind of revel in that in that sort of stuff because there was no social media, no internet. You didn't feel like you could go to the, you know, you, you, know, could, and you, you could, would, could go to the bar and, and smoke. Well, we were, a, we were playing to us. 
you know, there was something still called the establishment, which was the other side of the world that was that was not not our generation. It was a different culture, mm -hmm. and uh, and we were playing to our culture, which was young and revolutionary, yeah. and uh, and also the you know the first mass use of uh, of drugs. Yeah. Mm. Of, uh, of herb and all the things that are now used to ease pain. Yeah. You know, we used for other reasons. We didn't know they would ease pain. That was kind of incidental. Right. <clears throat> I, I had a thought because, you know, obviously when you were first starting out, the industry has changed so much. And like we talked about this in our first episode, cancel culture. And mm -hmm. do you feel like you've had to kind of shift your artistic oh, yeah. direction because obviously well, like, it's a minefield yeah you, you don't even realize you're, <clears throat> that you're offending somebody right you know when somebody will say well that's cultural appropriation mm -hmm. you know you feel just, like you've got a lot of that feedback nowadays where you're like you have to scale back yeah, in your writing yes. it's so yeah. interesting yeah constantly i mean yeah. and you're always and it's it, a lot of it look it, it starts with pronouns right right i mean i got a, an email today about something they want to know your pronouns it's like my pronoun is it. <laughs> I was just going to ask, what are your pronouns? It would like a Coca-Cola. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's my pronoun. I mean, what do you say? You know, I mean, yeah. my pronoun is he and him. Take a look. You know? I mean, what do you, well, you're, you're, what do you want? You're clearly very good at adapting because you've had a multi-decade long career. Right. True. And then yeah. also, I'm not sure I was going to ask you about this. How long have you lived as an, an openly gay, if you identify you know, that way? That's a great question. I was, I was always openly. I'm a weird case because, first of all, nobody was openly gay before Stonewall. Mm. I mean, you sure. were openly gay in that everybody in your circle knew you were gay. And perhaps even with people like Paul Lind on television, mm. they, they knew he was gay, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't acknowledge it because it was a bad thing. But the people who got his humor got it, and everybody else went over the head. Right. I would go on tour with Paul, and there would always be, he would, he would take questions from the audience, yeah. and there would always be a woman who would say, are you married? And he would just look at her and say, lady, do you live in a cave? <laughs> you know, it was like and that. what year was this when he, he was saying Oh, in this? the 70s. This I was mean, like wow, 70s. that's really yeah. brave at the but, time, though. But, that... Yeah, but I mean, he was acknowledging what everybody knew, but except the squares who didn't know what they, what they were talking about anyway. Mm, yeah. um, so I was, always, I was always bisexual. I always had a girlfriend. I always wanted to have a, a family with a white picket fence. And at a certain point in my life, in college, I realized that any woman I, I was that interested and deserved better than a guy who was going to go off to the Greyhound station look, looking for sailors. And so right. that was what I did. And I made a choice. You know, I right. said, okay. I, so when they say gay is a choice, yes, I chose to be authentic. I chose to be the real person. I didn't I want to put anybody through the agonies that a lot of people went through because they had to maintain a double life. Yes. I didn't want to maintain a double life. And you probably saw a lot of your peers go through that too. Oh, absolutely, you know? yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and for your, your family and, and friends, did you kind of come out to them at the same time? I, I was drafted. Uh, because wow. uh, it was during Vietnam, no, and they had wow. a draft, and you, they had a lottery, and uh, uh, they had 365, 366 days in numbers you could get. What a scary time. Yes, and my number was 150, and uh, it came up, and I had to go and report uh, for a physical. And so I, I did what they call it was checking the box. They would give you an, uh, a form, and it would say, uh, 
are, are you a homosexual? And, uh, and I checked the box. And wow. they automatically sent you to a shrink <gasps> who they had on, a, an wow. army shrink who was there. And he would ask wow. you questions. The first thing he asked you was, are you a practicing homosexual? I said, no, I've got it down. <laughs> like I'm a professional. Uh, and then resume. he laughed and he said, then he started to ask a series of the most graphic sexual questions. What? This was the military psychiatrist? Yes. And it was designed to Jeez. ferret out the straight guys who were faking it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, and I, when I would answer these like, questions. Oh, please tell us. Well, uh, you know, it's all, it's all, you know, it's all, it's. A lot. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a lot. As what you want to expect, you know, you can see it all now on, on, uh, on my OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, Bruce, <collab>. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> Kidding. Yes. Kidding. That's I don't true. have one. It's, you know, it's my brother's. Yes. That's really strange that you bring that up because I was just, we were just talking about OnlyFans. So well, I don't know if we you know, but our dear Christopher is in like the top, what, like 1% of creators? You're going to yes. be like Less 0.5. Right now. 0.30. Point, point the point, top 0.30 zero. Of God. Oh, that's a really big deal. Thank so you. Go down that we're, deal. we're not going to talk Thank like you. fully about. No, it. I'll keep on talking about the army psychiatrist <laughs> if you like. I did have a question for you. Yeah. Tell so okay so looking at your perspective of when you came up you know in the seventies and you know pe most people were closeted to yeah. now people are you know you know making their own yeah. um, uh, content, content. yes know, sex positivity what yeah. do you what do you feel like led to that change well uh, uh, Stonewall which was symbolic I mean at the time it wasn't at the time it was an incident but it grew be because uh, as as news of it spread around the gay community uh, Around the world, really, the idea was we're not we're not taking it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Stonewall was a, a mafia laundering operation, and that's why mm. it, it would periodically get raided. So because they, that's how the money would change hands, and but wow. the, the queens who were there, a lot of drag queens who uh, who were there, uh, said no, no, no more. This is a, no, we're not going to be carted away, mm. and uh, that began the whole notion of coming out. And uh, of declaring yourself, and uh, the idea of, of uh, owning who you are, and and reversing the the idea that it's bad to be gay. Yes. Which was always they went hand in hand. G gay was a bad thing. Gay and so, in a lot of a lot of it, it became on a linguistic level embracing the word queer, which was always what they called you when they wanted to insult you or scare you, and to embrace it and say, no, I am queer and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And there's queer theory and the, the idea of putting queer in as much as they could and, and also gay and lesbian and all the words that had that had been uh, buzzwords mm -hmm. now became words of empowerment. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that that's yeah. kind of similar to how we view, um, I think, like the uh, saying someone's a sex worker used to have such a stigma behind it, whereas now I feel like it's a little more well, it becoming makes it, yeah. different. I mean, it, it makes it like it's a real occupation it's a profession I mean it's because the other, other thing all the others are pejoratives hustlers hookers whores you know these are all these have all been negative words through centuries yes. so right. they came up with sex workers as a, a way to say oh by the way and I think a lot of that has to do also with there are people who are sexual surrogates who are uh, who are not not prostitutes but who are work with therapists on right. dealing with with patient sexual issues mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean helen wow. hunt did a movie about it 
Uh, I know what you're talking about. Where she yeah. had sex with the... She had sex with a guy who was uh, paraplegic, I think. And she, got, I think, got an Oscar nomination for that, yes. just incidentally. But, but the idea that that is a subject for a, a serious film is you know, revolutionary. I mean, if you yeah. said in 1970, we're going to make a movie about somebody who has you know, sex with paraplegic right. as therapy, they would kind of go, I'm sorry, I'll have what you're having. Or they would just you know, <laughs> yeah. say, no, we don't. No. And it's interesting you mentioned this, uh, well, you mentioned this, maybe off the air, but on a podcast that uh-huh. we can't really release, but you mentioned that um, a lot of the Stonewall people who were the people who kind of, you know, launched workers. into it were sex workers. Nice. And yeah. um, it's just interesting well, now. A lot of drag queens were because yes. that's what they could do. Right. Yes. I mean, they, and they could do it in, they could extend their personas from stage into their lives. And and, but a lot of them also had to, you know, go and have straight jobs where they showed up at the bank, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Those, to me, those were always the real heroes, the people who came out, who had jobs uh, in occupations and industries that were not, did not encourage flamboyance and eccentricity the way show business does. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I always say my mine was easier was because they, they look for somebody who's unusual and and that behavior is uh, eccentric behavior is a given mm-hmm. in, in the sure. theater and in, and in movies and, all, and in the arts generally. So, but it's much harder for people who are uh, you know battlefield surgeons. Right. I mean, and to to you know, declare yourself gay and to be living in that world that's that's real bravery. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's then now not. I mean now. Right. You know, the military wants the. You know, when I was growing up, nobody wanted to be in the army. Nobody wanted to have kids. And now everybody's getting married. Nobody wants to get married. They thought, we thought, oh, it's a bourgeois, heteronormative thing. Why would I want to embrace that? Now everybody's married. Everybody has kids. And people are marching up and down in uniform. So right. when did we go square? Somewhere wow. along the line. I mean, I, don't, I think the word's mainstream. It's like part of being accepted into the mainstream is that, uh, um, is that you, you embrace mainstream, some mainstream things. People... Uh, uh, when I remember when we were initially fighting for same-sex marriage, marriage equality, people would say, why would you want that? And, and you know, it stemmed from AIDS. It stemmed from yes. people having partners who got sick they go and they them. could not visit right. them in the hospital. Right. They had yeah. no rights. And marriage is the only thing that would guarantee their rights. Right. And people said, why is there all this about gay marriage? And I said, look, it's not like the mothership descended and we all came out and said, let's go to Vera Wang and get bridal gowns. <laughs> It was because a basic human civil right was being right. denied us. Correct. And that was, the, that was the, the igniting factor, as they say in screenplay writing. Yeah. That was the inciting incident. And it built, it built from there. Boy, this is funny, isn't it? I know. <laughs> wow. You've been he is, so he is hilarious, that We are getting a, a good history of... I think that's important, though. I that's know. Well, it's, you I know, know. Listening. Especially, you what know, am I game is for, if not to share? <laughs> right. So yes. when did you make the switch Mentor. from, um, you know, writing to being in front of the screen? I know that you also had... <laughs> you, worked, you had your own off-Broadway show that you I produced. I did, my one-man extravaganza. Your one-man extravaganza, and then you had rave reviews for starring in Harry spray is Edna. Yes. Yes. What was a better experience for you, producing your own show? Oh, no. Oh, I didn't have to produce it. I would have killed myself. Okay. Uh, 
acting is always. I was a child actor. I was never a oh, child really? star, you know, because we'd be in rehab now talking yeah. about this. <laughs> so they don't do very well. But I was a child actor, and my parents encouraged it because I really had a good time. What did you do? It. I did commercials, which we can't find. I wish I could oh, now. Oh, and a a lot of Wait a summer second. stock. You were a child model for. I was for Lane Bryant. Yes, I know. No way. And they had the silliest name. It was like Sweet Chubby Babies. Or uh, it was, what? It was uh, right? Charming Chubs. <laughs> Yeah, it's what? Are you yeah, real? Lane Bryant was like uh, a, a plus size dress store when when that was not even mentioned. Oh. There was no such thing as a plus size fashion lines okay. or anything like that. It was it was where fat ladies shopped. Okay. There was Lane Bryant was the was the big upscale like Nordstrom's <laughs> for fat ladies, and they decided that they wanted to have a line for fat kids. I guess there weren't enough fat ladies. So, <laughs> And so I was a model. I was modeling the thing for uh, with fat kids, and uh, the uh, there were two of us, and we would be in an ad, a print ad, with Carol Lindley, who was beautiful, thin, gorgeous, blonde Nordic shiksa in the language okay. of my people. She was, you know, as gentile as you could possibly be. And the idea was, if you dressed your fat kid. <laughs> In these outfits, he would attract someone like that. Of course, it's terrified mothers everywhere of fat kids. But at the same time, it, it didn't. It, it it didn't. And Lane Bryant's gone now altogether. Is it? So yeah, Is it? it's well, gone. I didn't know that. It's gone. It, it may be online still. Okay. I'm sure, probably. But there was a there was a big Lane Bryant across the street from the Beverly Center. That that whole building. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah that's that was right. Lane Bryant, and it became I don't know what it became. Sex office. So now I know that you've written for the Academy Award shows. A yeah, lot. A um, and you've been not, and that's what you you have two um, Emmys for, right? For for yeah. writing for writing for the Academy Awards. So I'm sure you've met a million billion celebrities. Is there any really amazing Academy Awards celebrity story that you're willing to to share with us? Oh my God! Well, uh, I, I mean, I've met, met a lot of them. There, there, I. Usually tell stories about jokes we couldn't put on the Oscar show. Okay, tell me. Uh, I want to hear, hear one. Well, here's a joke that actually we could put, but but Steve Martin it was the first time he was hosting, and uh, we had a great joke. It was uh, he was going to do the monologue and then come back out after the commercial and say, "I have good news and bad news." Um, the good news, uh, the bad news is my fly was unzipped throughout the entire monologue. The good news is the camera puts on 10 pounds. That's a great joke. Oh, my gosh. That is a really great good joke. Great joke. We could do that now, I think. Now, uh, you could. We went, then it was, we had to go to the network censor, Mrs. Futterman, uh, who oversaw everything. Oh, and, wow. It's like and she's not messing she, around. She, yeah, she was, and she was, she was always on the side of the writers, but she had her job to do. Right. And so she, she liked it. She said, go for it. You know, and St uh, Steve. At the first, said, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, it's a cock joke. Uh, I said, no, it's not a cock joke. It's a, it's a camera joke. <laughs> and I said, ask anybody. And here comes a nun coming by. Sister, come over here. Let me do it. And she loved the joke. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody who told the joke the... thought it was great. Right, this is the last and, nun from the like, And course. the nuns loved it. And uh, uh, so he finally acceded. So he said he would do it. And then, on the night of the show, he goes out and does the monologue. And the monologue kills and uh, just as he's about to go on, for the second thing, he turns to me and says, I can't do uh, I can't do the costume. Uh, and no. so you can't argue with a guy. I mean, you've yeah. got, there are a billion people about to watch him. So I turned around to the stage manager and I said, we're, we're cutting the cock joke. Mm. And the stage manager uh, uh, unwittingly says into the PA system, the cock joke has been cut. <laughs> 
You know, and I'm looking at Judy Dench in the audience is going, cock She's joke? Like, there was a cock <laughs> joke? But I didn't and he goes out. Meanwhile, he goes out and uh, and there's in the monitor it says no cock joke. <laughs> <laughs> in case he was, in oh case he's forgotten, in case he yeah. reads no joke. So, oh, that's among really my funny. favorite. Well, uh, okay, so beyond the, just the Academy Awards, yeah. though, you've all, all you've also written for so many comedians, yeah. and I a mean lot. everyone from Bette Midler, who I think you from the beginning for the beginning for Bette, of her like nominated for an Emmy for producing her special. Yeah, oh, wow. Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, I mean, all of these people. Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. you mentioned earlier, um, so kindly. So, who's your who's your favorite yeah, to work with? Oh my, well, yeah. if I don't say Beth, I'd be crazy because oh. it's the longest. I mean, she also you know come after me with some Hawaiian voodoo that she had because <laughs> she, she was born and raised there. She's oh. from my hometown, of Patterson, she was Jersey. From New York. She's yeah. from the family, but the, but they her parents eloped. And they, they moved to Hawaii in the 30s, where they figured wow. no one can find us. And <laughs> they'll have to come by canoe to find us. Wow. And, uh, and she was born there and grew up there and then came to... Uh, she was in the movie Hawaii, which is uh, uh, a big movie uh, that, from a, a big novel about the, the missionaries in Hawaii. And Julie Andrews <gasps> plays the, the missionary wife, the chief missionary wife. And Bette was an extra in the movie, but uh, they liked her, and so they gave her a line, which they then cut. But if you ever look at the movie, there's a fabulous scene where the, the, uh, the, the queen of Hawaii, Liliuokalani, who mm. weighed about 400 pounds, more even, uh, she's played by this Tahitian actress who got an Oscar nomination for it named Justin Lagarde, who's, who's lovely. Wow. It's, it's worth looking at. And she's so heavy that they have to hoist her in a cargo net. Stop. Over the over the the canoe to to greet to the ship to the um, to the missionary ship. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Wow. And there's a shot where she's in the canoe and she's waving, going aloha, aloha. And the shot is of the missionaries on the deck and their wives looking up at her. And <laughs> Bet is there in the middle of the crowd. You can't miss her in a, a like a wimple, and she's kind of going. She can't believe this woman. Love. And the guy next to her is her husband, and that's Gene Hackman, who it was his, I think, his oh. first part, too. No wow. way! And she took the money that she made on that movie and went to New York and became a go-go dancer and started her, her, her singing is career. That, did York. you meet her at that point? Or no, I met her. She was already uh, she was singing. She was uh, she was in Fiddler on the Roof. She was on uh, wow. on Broadway. She was the young. She was the oldest daughter in Fiddler for no. about three years. How did I not know that it's, she played um, yeah. Seidel? She played Seidel, and you can see her do Matchmaker, Matchmaker on the Tony Awards. They did it one year. Wow. So what year was this when she did Hawaii? Wow. And then she... uh, 67, 66, oh, wow. 67. Yeah. Fiddler was seventy one. What? Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler. She was in uh, 68, 69, okay. 70. Around there, wow. uh, it, Fiddler opened in '64, but it ran for a long time. I started writing for her when she as she came. She was in Fiddler, and she would go down the street to the Improv in New York, and yeah. she would sing. And Bud Friedman, who just passed, who who ran the Improv, signed her as a management client and booked her into a club in Chicago. And I was in Chicago writing for the Chicago Tribune. And he called me and said, uh, if you like her, would you write about her? And I went to see her, and she was the opening act, and she knocked me out. She was incredible. I mean, wow. well, she came on, 
She came on and she was, um, she was wearing uh, a blouse, uh, which was tied around the waist, and a cummerbund, and capri pants, and springlaters, and a gardenia in her hair, and no bra, which Ooh. at the time was oh, a, feminist 19, a feminist statement. Right. And I said, in your case, it's a terrorist act. <laughs> <laughs> and she came on singing Shaboom, which was a big rock and roll song. Shaboom, Shaboom, and Shaboom, Shaboom, and of course they forks dropped and they all, you know. And so uh, I wrote about her and she liked it. She said, It's a very funny column. And I said, Well, you're funny, you should talk more. And she said, You got any lines? And that was. Wow. Fifty years ago. Fifty years ago. Five oh, baby, and golden was, jubilee. I'm, a, I'm assuming you, you, the two of you, are still friends. Oh yeah, That's absolutely. Great. Yeah. Wow. We we just did uh, we we midlarized Hocus Pocus two. We did Hocus Pocus one, and we came in and did With some a little bit of work on Winnie on Winnie's lines because oh, they really? she speaks very uh, she speaks a special little language you know that the she writers. Sure does. Didn't, didn't well they didn't know quite know how to write that i mean they, it's it, the, the hocus pocus 2 it's very smart it's written by jen d'angelo who writes modern family and it was really oh. really smart it was uh, but you know winifred needed a little uh, flourishes here and there because she mm. you know she's she's from she's been dead for many years right and speaks a language that nobody speaks anymore. You know, these and thines and those yes, and yeah. all of that. Right. <laughs> so did you get to go to set for Hocus Pocus too? Yeah. Well, I uh, I, I zoomed oh, oh, because sorry. it was it, toward the end of COVID, and they were they shot the whole thing in Rhode Island. Oh, wow. how interesting! And wow. they, they rebuilt Salem in Rhode Island. Wow. So you're you're friendly with you. I mean, work with Adam Shankman. Yes. And all that. Wow. I, yeah. Adam, I knew when he was a, a chorus boy and a wow. dancer, and he did uh, he did AIDS benefits. He choreographed AIDS benefits. That was how he sort of started, and then began working in movies and getting directing things, and wow. became Adam Shankman. You know. No, wow. I know Bruce that when you were younger, you wanted to. Uh, your main goal was to write for Broadway. And I think you did get a, a couple shows produced, right? Do you I, still is that still like something that you're interested in? I, I thought at one point I'd be Neil Simon, you know, and have uh, back out a hit every year, but didn't work out. I had a big flop in 1978, a musical called what? Platinum. And once you've had a big flop, it really scares you away because oh, it's like because I, I, I had a, I had a career in television and in movies, and I was living out here, and I thought, okay, I don't need to do this. Why did it flop? Well, um, I could, people would tell you it wasn't very good, but it, it had great stuff going for it. it. It was a musical about a great movie star of the 40s, a musical star of the 40s, inspired by Rita Hayworth, mm. who, goes, who thinks her life is over because she's been doing Mame and Hello, Dolly right. in Summerstock, and one night she starts doing Mame in the middle of Hello, Dolly and thinks maybe this is the beginning of the end. And she meets this, this gay, young, whippersnapper, David Geffen type, who says, no, what you should do is an album of all your hits, disco, because disco is huge. Mm. And so he brings her into the studio, and she meets Alice Cooper. She meets a 30-year-old punk guy, and they have this affair, this, this unbelievable kind of affair, but they are drawn together because he thinks his life is over because he's turning 30, and he, he feels the younger ones snapping at his heels. And she thinks her life is over, and this is what bonds them. And they realize that they can, you know, they have no life as a couple, but they have a life in their, in the, in their world they can go on. Mm. So it was a great idea, 
And we had a great movie star, Alexis Smith, who nobody remembers now, but who was had starred in Sondheim's Follies uh, oh. and, at the time and was a big Broadway name, but she wasn't big enough to guarantee the box office. And um, it, was, it was hard. People, the, the investors lost faith in it, and it, it, they just didn't want to run it. didn't get the greatest oh, reviews. Oh, so it didn't even get a chance? It, well, we ran oh. 33 whole performances, oh, hey. which hey. is enough it to keep you like off of Joe Allen's role. Love. Does it go the way, just yeah. not to spoil it for anyone, what? but does it go the way of A Star is Born, kind of? That's no, what I was but, thinking uh, of. It yeah. was, people thought of that. They thought of Sunset Boulevard. You know, they, they compared it to a lot of different things, but... Um, no, nobody dies, and uh, and it's it's not it's not like that. They, it, they actually it was a very positive ending. They both go their separate ways. Realize they've they've energized each other because um, it would it would have been very hard for them to have a, a relationship in the real world. So it's realistic. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, and I know some people like that. You know, Margaret Whiting, who was a great jazz singer, was married to Jack Wrangler, who was a porn star. And, Interesting. And yeah, and it, it certainly affected her career a little bit, but. Not really. They just kind of, you know, went forward. But the only, the interesting footnote to this is Ethel Merman came to see the show. What? Oh my! You got to meet Ethel Merman? Yeah, I've I've worked with her a few times, and promptly um, recorded a disco album. Which has to be heard. Oh my gosh, she was inspired. Oh. There's no business like show, ba- oh, and it's all yeah. disco things underneath. Why, 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 baby, why? It's That's brilliant. Smart. Wow. It's, actually, it's, it one, it's one of the great cultural watersheds. Wow. It's absolutely fabulous. Yes, I knew Ethel Merman, and my favorite thing, you know who I thought you all know, Ethel Merman was like, um, she's the original lead in Gypsy. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Voice like a course. trumpet. And I, I did a TV show once uh, with Shamana, which was a group, if you've ever seen the Woodstock movie, they, would, they were a parody of 50s doo-wop No, groups. I know exactly who it was. Mm-hmm. He okay. was the um, one... Uh, Bowser was... Yeah, the, Bowser the, was the on the star. match game all the right, time. Right, Bowser yeah. would step out. So they were brilliant, and they had a TV series five nights a week for a couple of years <gasps> in syndication, and stars would come on, and, and we talked Merman into doing it. And it was just for the one joke where she stands there like Ethel Merman and she says, curtain up! <laughs> and the curtain goes up and there's Shana and she looks back and says, curtain down! Oh my okay. gosh. Wow. That's like, the beginning of Everything's Coming Up Roses, which is her, was one of her big numbers. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, you've like seen it all. I know. Yeah. Did you know. know that Bruce wrote Naked Boy Singing? I did. What? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Yes. With no how? naked help. I mean, I... Wait, how so... did I not make this connection? <laughs> how did I miss that? I, I, I know. Well, That's because incredible. There are, yes. I, there are 14 writers. It's all songs that I wrote. Yes. We put the framework together and the interstitial dialogue, which some, some places use, some places don't use. But we did it uh, uh, because the Celebration Theater which was a gay theater company that's yes. still, still around, mm-hmm. um, had a, a, a bad, um, it was going broke because nobody would come, they would, nobody would come to, see, uh, to see the plays. They, the, the, gay, the gay guys didn't support the serious work and we did things for Asians and for lesbians and they, those audiences weren't cultivated and they, they didn't come, they weren't interested. So the only thing that ever made real money was uh, when people were naked. When we had but naked. For dolls. those people who don't know, explain the show for the people that don't know. Yeah. So I was in Vegas uh, back in September through November last year, and we did Naked Boys singing um, 
in Vegas. We did it at the Erotic Heritage Museum. Certainly. <laughs> also known as the Jewel Box. Yes, the Jewel Box Theater. <laughs> and I love you know it. yeah, Bruce, uh, explain the show. It's it's basically well, a, we a did musical it comedy. It, we did it because we wanted to do a show where we had naked guys and Rob, uh, Robert Schrock, Bob Schrock, who was running the theater. We had an original show. It was called, uh, it was going to be 40s music with naked guys. We were calling it Swinging Dicks. Oh, that's funny. And uh, he said, let's <laughs> just, accurate. let's just, you know, let's not be cute. There, let's just, you know, do naked boys singing. And the show is about being naked in, in, in many different situations. There's a naked maid. There's uh, a, a Jewish thing about a, a kid getting a bris. Um, there was there used to be a very serious number about being stripped in a hospital for uh, for right, uh, yeah, for, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean so there were it was uh, and the opening number is gratuitous nudity if they say this is you're gonna here we are we're on stage and this is what we're gonna show you and it but it was all there was a theme was we're all naked at some point in our lives and mm. and each number dealt with a different aspect of nakedness, not necessarily wow. nudity, but nakedness. And the vulnerability that comes yeah. with just right. showing your full, maybe not even mm-hmm. physically naked, but just nakedness, like Bruce yeah. describes. And as a result, yeah. when critics would, came in the early days, they would say, this is not just a skin show. This is show has depth, right. believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it has worked. And, you know, I mean, it's been done everywhere. We've done 87 productions of it. And what we've learned is the first few weeks, every gay guy in town comes to see it. And then it becomes a bachelor party, a bachelorette party show. It's all women. You know, it's like Puppetry the Penis, which is another show. And that that, was right before our show. It was playing on a double bill with... Mm -hmm. um, with, The Puppetry uh, of the Penis. Yes, two guys who do... Did you write that one too? No, I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) You've never seen this one in Vegas? Uh -uh. No. And I was the only man in the audience. It was all women. And I watched the whole thing crossing my legs because they're doing what they call gentle origami. Yeah, it's where they like (laughs) make like a cheeseburger. They they make like the hot dog. And they're like bending it around. They do sculpture with their junk. You can make a cheeseburger with your... Penis? It's like the balls are the buns and like... Oh, yeah, it's very, wow. Yeah. It's very involved. Um, you have to have... I'll bring it back. Fun, exactly. Funny story. Right. On the set, on, um, in the theater, in the Jewel Box Theater, when we were rehearsing that first week, um, Puppetry of the Penis was in the same uh, theater. So they have this, I guess, this gag where they have a ice cream cone and they put, like, it's called the double scoop. They what? put like the balls in, and it looks like a, a scoop, of, two scoops of ice cream. And we would find these ice cream cones all throughout under the chairs in the Wait, theater. What? Don't they make it with their penis? They they have the cone and without ice cream, and they put their balls as two scoops of uh-huh. ice cream on top That's of the cone. That's adorable. Yes. So we would find these cones all under okay, the seats. Okay, I was confused. I thought you meant they were twisting their penis into all of these shapes. Well, they, well, they are. are, but sometimes they have like they extra are. They props. Are, but they have some props, and you know. And we would find them, and. At one point, I was like, oh, like, this looks good. And, like, so, some people in the cast, they were like, oh, like, you know, eating them. And uh-huh. then they explained it to us. There were balls in them? <laughs> like Those are bally cones. I guarantee you there'd be some guys who'd be like, hand them uh, over. Hey. Exactly right. Oh, yeah, you know? A thousand percent they would. Uh, Why do you think I put it in my mouth? I so like what was that flavor. This, this is so reminiscent of something. What is it? I love this flavor. <laughs> Right. What flavor is this cone? <laughs> oh my goodness. So oh my we, we sadly have to start wrapping it up. Oh no. We have to. Wait, can we talk about Hollywood Squares real 
fast because that's where uh, I, I did it. Known to years. love you. I was like, to the left of Whoopi, if that's oh possible. Oh my God. Yeah. Who you also wrote for. I was the head writer. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and wrote for her and, uh, and the whole, you know, Gilbert Gottfried, who I adored. And so funny. Caroline Ray. And those were like our regular people, Brad Garrett. A lot How did of they transition you from writing for the show to being <laughs> in the square? Well, yeah. it was they, they wanted, uh, they were looking for a host. And Whoopi said, I think Valanche should host it. And they said that you're crazy. And uh, they tested me. And I said, this is one's for the win, Louise. And they said, we're, you're not quite what we're looking for. Uh, but we're going to put you in a square. Wow. wow. And you've already done acting, I did, et cetera, a lot at that of acting. Point, I think so. a lot. Of, and I'd been on television. I'd had a late night show on the Midnight Special in, the, in 1980. So uh, they, uh, they knew I knew what I was up to. So, and they, I think it was partially to kind of, they were a little afraid of Whoopi. A little afraid of what she might do, so they wanted like me to tame her, which is of course mm. no man has done. And uh, uh, but we had, you know, our joke was that uh, what people didn't realize is that uh, she's really a Jewish boy and I'm really a black woman. Oh. <laughs> and that's why we get along so well. <laughs> Ask anybody I slept with, they will tell you yes. That's true. Do you have a husband or boyfriend now? No, I have nothing. I'm available. I'm auditioning. How did they get you into those spaces? We like, had two spiral staircases. One would go to the second level and one would go to the third oh, level. So fascinating and they, they were bigger than you thought. We once had Venus and Serena Williams in one square. Oh. And they're Amazons. They are, I didn't realize, oh, yeah. tennis players are deceptively small on television. And then you meet them. They're gigantic. And they would have to be to, to volley and run yeah. and all that stuff. They got to bring that show back. Where can we follow you? Just uh, You can go to wegotbruce.com. Which Amazing. Is, which okay. is a fan site, and he knows more than I know. I check in to see what I'm doing. <laughs> oh. You know, sometimes know, he, it's he scours way. the waterfront. Yeah. Right. All right, go boys, ahead. we have yes. to wrap it up. Yep. Unfortunately, we oh, have to Bruce. give huge thanks to our amazing oh guests. Thank you. I feel like I blabbered was, on. No, wait. Today no, was a like, history lesson. It. Today no. was an important episode. Yep, so important. The young gays <laughs> needed to hear their history. Pinot Gaggio. Yes. All the Pinot Gaggio you want. We love you. We love you. Until next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>